You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, I have been talking about the things that belong to us. I started a couple of weeks ago. How many of you may have been here for that? Oh, good. Good, good. It's on our website if you missed it. And so this is a part two. And I'm keying off a verse in Philemon, which is only one chapter, so it's verse six. And let's, um, do we have it posted there? Let's read that together. I pray for you that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ. Now, here is the way it works. We have things as believers that we don't know we have. And if we don't know we have it, we're not likely to benefit from having it. How many of you are aware of that? Matter of fact, um, I'm going to talk about a $100 bill, but there's no offering in the, in the near future, okay? But the minute you talk about money, if you automatically go to criticism, you probably need to get healed. Or, But there are people that carry $100 bills. I don't know how many people in here carry $100 bills. Raise your hand if you carry a $100 bill. Okay, we do have several. But... No, that's, that's good. I usually carry a debit card. It's worth way more than a hundred bucks. But Kimmy, you have a hundred dollar bill. Did you know you had a hundred dollar bill in, in your purse there? Well, you do reach into that side pocket. There's, there's a hundred, there's a hundred dollar bill in there. Now show everybody. (laughs) That represents someone who had something and did not know they had it. So it would have been very hard to spend. If you know you have it, how much is it worth? A hundred bucks. If you don't know you have it, how much is it worth? A hundred bucks. Why do I know she had it? Because I snuck it in her purse (laughs) earlier this morning and not even John Schroeder, her husband, knew. (laughs) This is part of of the gospel. Many of us do not know those things that belong to us. The great apostle Paul prayed here. He said, I pray that your faith, what faith? The faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ. I'm shifting glasses here. 
those are bifocals. So I can see you, but I've seen you, so now I'd like to see this. <laughs> but Paul writes, there are good things that belong to us in Christ. And his heartfelt prayer for Philemon and for us is that God would deepen our understanding of every single one of them. They're things that belong to us in Christ. This is nothing to do with how mature you are, how obedient you are. All of these things were actually placed in you before you even knew it. That would be the point. And in this analogy, I'm God. That's a scary thought. And Kimmy is the believer. I knew what she had. I put it there. That ain't working. Uh, what I'm saying is working. My glasses aren't working. So what are these things? Why does their understanding need to be deepened? And it's because many of us, I'm going to say may not know what we have in Christ, but I think most of us don't really know. I mean, one of the reasons people have been deconstructing their faith is the faith they received wasn't profound enough. It wasn't clear enough. It wasn't articulated well enough. And people going to church weren't living it well enough. But Paul also made this point. Hey, I'm in the go-to-church business, so everybody can question my motivation. Help yourself. That's okay. I don't care. But here's the truth. Paul also made the point that our understanding deepens through a mutually shared faith, a corporate faith. Many of the prayers for individuals are not being answered because of the corporate level of faith not being high enough, not your personal faith. Are you listening to me? We all need to develop spiritually, and you will not develop spiritually on your own. You will be picked off. You will be confused. You will be whatever, particularly if you pay attention to much of what's going on in culture. Mutually shared faith, which emphasizes the importance of a profound fellowship with one another. Now, I'm looking at the next 10 to 20 years of my life. And part of my calling is this, to help people see what you have, what God gave you that's already in you by virtue of being in Christ. And being in Christ means when you met the Lord, you were added into Jesus himself in a mysterious way. But my calling is to help people see what they have. I believe this too. I want people to know God like I know God. And I'm different than other people and how they know God. But that's what we give people. We give people who we are. You may have the measles, but want people to catch the chicken pox, but they ain't going to catch the chicken pox. They're going to catch what you got. I want people to catch the good part of what I have. Now, the tricky part is how we access what it is we have. And I'm not going to cover that today because I think we still need to understand what Paul's gospel included as far as what we actually have. In Colossians 2, um, verse 3, for our spiritual wealth is where? In him. What's it like 
will treasure. What kind of treasure? Hidden treasure. But it's waiting. For what? For you to get hungry enough or desperate enough or smart enough or humble enough to pursue hidden treasure waiting to be discovered, heaven's wisdom, and what kind of riches? Endless riches of revelation knowledge. So our spiritual wealth is located in one specific place, but it's not a place. It is a literal person, a specific person, Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. Not the ethereal person, but a literal person bodily, mysterious person. Listen, the gospel is repeatedly called in the New Testament a mystery. If you're not mystified by the gospel, you don't really see what Paul's saying. Go read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and if you do not scratch your head because you don't get what Paul's saying, you are not really understanding what he's saying. That didn't make any sense. But read it anyway. It's powerful. Our spiritual wealth is in him, like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom, endless riches of revelation knowledge. Heaven's wisdom is there in him, in knowing him. Hidden treasure, endless riches. Endless riches are there that come to us, how? By God revealing to us who he is and what he's done for us. Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> Colossians, uh, also in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truth of the anointed one. For he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. How can that be? I don't know. It's a mystery. All I know is when I met him, my life changed. I couldn't get rid of him and he wouldn't get rid of me. You can't do this since 1969 and feel like quitting or leaving or giving up or changing sides or something. But here I am. Boldly proclaiming the mysteries of Christ that don't always even work for me. Nevertheless, I'm sold on them. I know enough about him to know that what he says is true. In my experience, raising my family, dealing with life. And the Bible says he is the complete fullness of deity. I read this, living in human form, verse 10. And our own completeness is now found in him. That's the Passion Translation. The King James, the New King James says, you are complete in him. And that word complete means in him you have been completely crammed full of everything you might need. You may not know it, but he says he's done that. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. 
He's the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. My goodness, are you listening to this? Bob, boldly does Paul proclaim that we are complete in Jesus. In knowing him, in knowing what he's provided for us through this gospel episode called the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ Jesus and the outpouring of the spirit. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who releases to us and enables us to access what we have. That's what the Holy Ghost does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He begins to enable us to get in touch with the things God's done for us because many of these things do not just automatically happen. They come through relationship with God, relationship with one another. It's so vital to know the Lord, to continue with the Lord. And then in Second Peter verse 3, oh, this can't possibly be true. Who's looking at Second Peter verse chapter, uh, it's actually chapter 2 verse 3. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness. What's the rest of that sentence? Has, is it up there? No. I have it right here. Trust me. Everything, verse 3, everything we could ever need. Let's say that together. Everything we could ever need. And, and tell your unbelief to be quiet just for a few minutes. Everything, be quiet. Everything. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. And here's Kim's word. For all this was lavished. Could God have lavished something upon you and not known it? That would be the point. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who was called us by name and invited us. That's a great word. Invited us to come to him. Not forced us, but invited us. That's the nature of God. He doesn't make you do things. He invites you. Invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of what? His goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, we can experience partnership or become partakers. Partners are partakers together of something. Partnership or partakers of the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. If, if you haven't been reading your Bible lately, let me make a recommendation. Read the Gospel of John. Read Ephesians and Colossians. It will help. So here's what we find in Second Peter. He says he has provided everything we need, has already deposited us by his divine power, that those things are realized through powerful promises, a promise faith process, 
and we partner with him, we partake of the very nature of God. I repeat, we have things we don't know we have. Who can say that? Let's put, let's say, I have things I didn't know I had. I had things I didn't know I had. I have things I didn't know I had. So there are two problems. We aren't aware of what we have, what's ours, based on the gospel of Jesus. And many of us don't know how to access what's ours. So I'm going to emphasize here for a while what it is we have, and then later we'll talk about how we access it. What if what I'm saying is true? I like little questions that help. How many of you ever saw Tom Hanks in The Bridge of Spies? Anybody? I recommend it. Anybody? A couple of you? Well, in that movie, Tom Hanks is a lawyer and he represents um, a Russian spy who's been discovered in the U.S. And you aren't old enough, a lot of you remember this, but at one point, Russia shot down a U-2 um, high-altitude uh, spy plane. And Francis Gary Powers was in prison as an American spy in Russia, having been shot down. So all this was going on back around... Um, Kennedy and Bay of Pigs and uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, for those of you who might remember some of that. And Tom Hanks was actually an insurance lawyer. He was a negotiator for an insurance company, but he had previously been an outstanding defense attorney. So the government had him represent the Russian spy that they're going to railroad anyway, but Tom Hanks, believing in the American system and the Constitution, was going to fully represent this man to the best of his ability. And at a given point, the lawyer, Tom Hanks' character, said to the Russian spy, he said, I don't think you understand. Your life is in the balance. Do you understand that? And the spy said, yes. Well, the lawyer said, well, you don't seem to be worried about it. And the Russian spy asked him one question. He said, would it help? That's the question you ask yourself when you're tempted to worry. Would it help? There's another question you ask yourself about the things I'm saying. What if it's true? What if these things I've been reading and proclaiming are true? That we have a spiritual wealth in Jesus that's like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom, endless riches of revelation, knowledge. What if it's true? My conclusion is that we should spend the rest of our lives inquiring of the Lord about these things. We should be diligently pursuing after these things if they're true. We should be getting to know him better. We should be asking God to reveal us unsearchable. Unsearchable riches implies there's a search involved. You can't be casual about your relationship with Jesus and it work as well as it could possibly work. What would we spend our lives doing? Asking God to reveal to us these unsearchable riches. Or go on a spiritual quest of discovery of what it is to mean I'm in Christ. I'm a believer. As opposed to getting on the internet and telling everybody else what's wrong with them. I don't believe that's an unsearchable riches. 
I believe that jack-leg redneck Christianity myself. Pardon, pardon my French. There's no profanity in there. Anybody in here need to be taught what's wrong with you? I, I think we know. But I, I, I want... Ooh. I want solutions. I want possibilities. I want to spend the rest of my life discovering what we have so I can be better and people can catch something from me that's better than criticism and hostility and avarice all disguised as wisdom when it's actual nothing but human logic. I want to access what I'm talking about for my benefit and for the benefit of those around us. And that's called our purpose and our mission. And it can manifest in a thousand different ways. It can manifest by being a carpenter or a shade. It's not about being a preacher. Preachers like me have to go hide in the world somewhere so that people will actually get to know who I am and talk to me when they find out a preacher. They're scared. They don't want to talk to me. Who knows what I'm talking about? I don't even tell people I'm a preacher and some people realize I'm not. And then they realize I am and you would be amazed at what happens, how they open up. Okay. The mystery that Paul describes, he mentions in Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 3, he says, for this wonderful mystery, listen to his words, which I briefly described. Which I briefly described. You go back and see what Paul said in in Ephesians chapters uh, 1 and 2. And that's his brief description. Here's what his brief description entails. The fact that we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we've been accepted, that we're not left out, we're not rejected, even when we're sinners, that we're chosen as holy and blameless, not because we were holy and blameless. The choosing of us makes us holy and blameless in his sight, that we're adopted, we've been made family, that we're not just loved, we're loved as much as God the Father loves Jesus, his beloved. We're forgiven. We have total cancellation of all sins. We have access to being given revelation of who and what God is and has done. We have been claimed by God. We have been given purpose in life. We've been included in his ultimate plan. We have been resurrected from spiritual death. We have ascended with him. We are raised with him. And we were seated with him in the heavens, which gives us remarkable authority and opportunity to live a brand new way. And that's not all that's in those first two chapters, ladies and gentlemen. That's Paul's brief conversation about the magnanimous, amazing, profound reality of what it really is to be a believer in Jesus. Brief description, Paul says. I don't know if I could stand for him to expound more than a brief description. I would blow circuits. Wires would burn. My brain would sizzle. I would go into snap, crackle pop mode. 
One of the ways, oh, I'm good. One of the ways God began to open my eyes and give me understanding and encouragement happened through a dream and a prophetic experience I had in prayer. I, I don't know how many of you might realize this, but I have an aspect of who I am is prophetic. I believe everybody can hear from God. Jesus himself said his sheep Hear his voice, the sheep know his voice. Um, there, there's a process in learning. Many people hear and don't know what they've heard because God's voice is not often a booming voice from heaven that scares the daylights out of everybody in the building. And I can't get into all that now, but I'll get into some of it later. But I have... Um, p- part of my calling is mystical. Or mysterious, just like they say the, the gospel's mister, mystic, uh, yeah. <laughs> but through a dream and an encounter in prayer. Now, when I say in prayer, I, it wasn't. That's almost cheating because I'm not good at praying in some ways. I I can't go. In, anyway, let me get to this. But what happened was these two things provided insight from the scripture in regards to the very things I'm talking about this morning. And and the dream and the encounter strengthened me and encouraged me and opened up some of this revelation about the scripture. Now, it didn't violate the scripture. I know people get nervous when you talk about things like this, but you, you shouldn't. Um, it goes without saying that all our dreams aren't important or even meaningful. Some of them come from, well, who knows where they come from. Some of them, pizza, I don't know, something. Anger, hostility, I don't know. But then there's some that are profound. They are. I write mine down. And I ditch them if I don't get significant understanding or if they're not meaningful. But dreams have provided a significant role in helping important people in the Bible. It's part of the the biblical record, a significant part of the biblical record, quite frankly, because a series of dreams, Joseph didn't turn Mary away when he discovered that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit before they were wed. Joseph knew to flee to Egypt to protect his son, Jesus, and his wife, Mary. He knew when to return, when it was safe for them. He knew where to move his family. All of this happened through dreams. A friend of mine, Steve Thompson, invited me to go to a meeting he had been invited to many years ago, and it was a meeting of millionaires and one billionaire. I didn't know any of them, but I was fly on the wall listening and one, one of those millionaires said this, every significant business advance I have made was connected to a dream. But if you tell anybody, I won't admit to it. Because people don't want to think, think you're crazy. Well, you're not crazy. It's just they're not all important. It was because of dreams that um, Joseph, 
another Joseph in the book of uh, uh, Genesis. Well, in a dream, God revealed his destiny to him through the gift of interpreting dreams. Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt and helped save thousands, maybe even millions from starvation by understanding dreams and knowing how to implement the wisdom that were revealed in the dreams. And he also preserved the very lineage of Christ Jesus by saving his family's life in a seven-year famine. That's awesome, through dreams. It's amazing. So, let me say this. A picture's worth what? A thousand words. And then there are also word pictures. And so, I want to tell you about this dream. And it's, it's unusual, but it's, it's remarkable. I was standing... In this dream, I was standing in the living room of my pastor's house when through angels, three angels walked through a side door. But they looked like young uh, Down syndrome children. And I knew instinctively, though, that they were angels. And listen to this. They radiated the love of God in a way I had never experienced before. And it enabled me to know more than I had that God loved me completely and perfectly. So I don't believe this dream was of the devil. He generally doesn't make you love God more. And I was so drawn to these little ones that I picked one up in my arms, how small, and I was, I guess I was saying I looked into his face and he asked me my name. He said, what's your name? And I said, Robin McMillan. He said, oh, you're Joyful Philip. You know how long ago this was. This was 30 years ago. This happened 30 years ago. He said, oh, you're Joyful Philip. Ladies and gentlemen, I was clueless through this whole dream. Honestly, I thought. I'm just looking. But I was surprised by what this little person began to talk to me about, and it was as though he already knew me and knew something about me I didn't realize. Isn't that sort of the topic this morning? Those things God knows about us that maybe we don't even know about ourselves. So then I looked at the second young one who asked me my name, and I think she was seemed to be a female. I don't know how this works, and I told her my name, and she said, oh, you're Joyful Philip. So I did realize the Lord was beginning to tell me something through these little messengers. But I didn't know what to think. Why had they called me Joyful Philip? Well, I found out over the years, the Lord's given me a certain amount of joy that sometimes is imparted in sometimes remarkable ways. But they seemed to know more about me than I knew about myself. Then the conversation took another entirely unexpected, unusual turn. The young messenger I held in my arms looked at me. Now, when I say looked at me, has anybody ever looked into your eyes and seen like all the way down into the depth of your soul, maybe all the way down to your shoes, kind of look like only God can almost do? Or God can do it, but it's almost like God. And this is what she said, or he said. You know, you know, right. You know you have a prophetic mantle 
like a tabernacle or a tent held up by nine tent posts called the Duns of God, don't you? Blank. I was mystified. And I realized no child of that age that I knew had the kind of authority that I heard in that, the, the voice. No child I knew was this articulate. And no child I knew could make me feel the love of God. I'd been saved a long time before I felt the love of God, ladies and gentlemen. Can I be that, blunt, uh, that honest with you? I'm serious. I got saved by faith, not by feeling necessarily something from love. I had no idea what this young child was saying. Then it continued. She said, when a person learns how to live in that place, what place? Well, this tabernacle held up by nine pins or, or tent posts called the Duns of God. Nine, I'm, I'm thinking, what, I'm, what? When a person learns how to live in that place, all the fullness of God is at his disposal. And I thought, impossible. Then the Lord actually spoke to me in the dream and said, the devil, I'm not going to permit the devil to steal this from you, but your logic and reason will try. Listen, I, I was dumbfounded. But here's what I began to realize, that those nine duns, done is the past tense of do. The nine tent posts identified by this young call, child called the duns of God represented nine aspects of the finished work of Christ. Done is the past tense of the verb to do. What Christ accomplished for us on the cross is done. The gospel is not about what we need to do to earn something, but it's about what Christ has done for us that we need to lay claim to by faith. Therefore, and I can prove this, actually I started proving it two weeks ago, each aspect of what has been accomplished for us that appears in the New Testament comes in the past tense, past tense, excuse me. And I could go through them all. Half blessed. Oh, there, there's more than nine. I don't even know how you put them in a category of nine. But then I realized at one point, nine gifts of the Spirit, nine fruit of the Spirit. It's just interesting. Now, this experience was a revelation of a place of victory and blessing Jesus provided for us and invites us into as a way of living. It was a covering of love. But then I had an experience in prayer. How many of you have ever gone to bed at night guilty because you haven't been spiritual enough for the day? Yeah. Hey, be a preacher and feel that way. You sort of have to double down. So one evening as I climbed into bed, Donna usually comes after I go. So I was there by myself. I felt guilty that I hadn't read the Bible and prayed enough that day, so I decided to compensate by quoting a Bible passage until I fell asleep. That's a good idea. So I chose Galatians 2.20. And so I was saying this, and I did it out loud. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. How many of you are familiar with Galatians 2.20? And the life I now live... 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, I began to feel like the presence of the Lord, and I thought, ooh, if once is good, twice is better. So I did it another time, slowly going over the verse, phrase by phrase, meditating through it. And as I meditated on the verse, I realized this. Paul was actually preaching the gospel to himself, even though the letter was to the Galatians. Oh, what do you mean? Well, he said in explicit terms about the Lord's love, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, so I'm dead, but I'm alive, figured out. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who did what? Loved you, Galatians, he didn't say that. Loves us, didn't say that. He said, who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of you can recognize that even the Apostle Paul had to preach the gospel to himself at times? Reacquaint himself with this Jesus to whom he'd given his life. So I thought, I'm going to do this again. So I started to quote it. And when I got to that part, who loved me and gave himself for me, now the room was dark, but like in the spirit, I had a vision of a massive green and yellow striped tent. You remember Nine Duns Tabernacle, Nine Duns Green and striped like John Deere Tractor Company, green and yellow. How many of you are familiar with that? That green and yellow. And then it disappeared, and I fell asleep and completely forgot about what happened until the next morning when I was waking up and driving to the church. The Lord interrupted my thoughts with, what did you think about what happened to you last night? I went, oh, Oh, what was that? I don't have a clue. And the Lord said, well, tell me what happened. Do you talk to the Lord like that? Just tell him what happened. Tell him what, tell me what happened. He said, so I went through the entire episode point by point, And I said, then when I got to the part where Paul wrote about you who loved me, he said, and gave himself for me, this big John Deere green and yellow tent came up over my head. And in very personal, loving, tender words, the Lord said, yes, John's dear to me. And then he was gone. What is that? That's just a word play. That was a John Deere tent. And John, the apostle, called him, said, called himself what the disciple whom Jesus loved four times nobody else called him that but John was dear to the Lord and he knew it and when I'm talking about the finished work when I'm talking about those things that are done when I'm talking about this strange word picture of a nine dunce tabernacle or a John's dear to me place for us to dwell under the love of God. It's so that we can begin to see what Jesus really has done for us.
Amen. Why don't we stand together? Praise the Lord. Um, there's a lot there. There's there's a lot to uh, receive with what Robin was saying this morning. Um, we were singing that song in worship today. Let us become more aware of your presence. And uh, sometimes when I'm singing that song, I, I think of it in terms of what's happening in the outside. But Robin's message is really about this morning. It's about what Christ has already de- deposited on the inside of us. And, and um, I was, Amy and I were actually talking this week about why do people miss? Why do we miss what God has done? And one of the things that we came up with that we realized that we've both struggled with over the years is brokenheartedness. And, you know, you can be broken. You can be so brokenhearted in your life that somebody can come along and say, well, what you just need is to have hope. You just need hope. And while that may be true, it's almost impossible to hold any kind of hope if you're brokenhearted. You can't hold it. And I've recognized that in my own life. When I've been down, when I've been brokenhearted, somebody would try to help me with words. And the words didn't, although they were right, they didn't make sense. Sometimes logic isn't helpful. And this is why these these charismatic experiences that Robin's talking about are essential to us as Christian believers because we need the Holy Spirit to bypass our logic and our rationale at times and go into the very depth of who we are as people because we're not just rational minds. We do have rational minds and we thank the Lord for that. That's not the essence of who we are. We're so much more than that. But I was, while, while Robin was preaching, I was reminded of this message in Isaiah 61. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So this is what Jesus is doing this morning. And I ca- I was catching this during worship this morning. I feel as though there's some of us who are, are real brokenhearted or we might be weary. We might be just, there's just a, there's a weariness that's rested on your heart. So I just thought as a response to today's message that we could do this. This, this might sound a little strange, but just, just take your hand and just put it over your heart. And just as an, as a, as an act of faith this morning together, this is what we're going to do as a community of believers who are staking everything on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. We're saying, Lord, come again and bind up the brokenhearted among us. 
Bind up the broken places in our hearts that are having a difficult time seeing hope, hearing hope, feeling hope. God, we ask that you would make us become more aware of what you have done, what you have done, like Robin was saying. Make us aware. And Lord, there's parts of this that we can hear rationally and logically and we need it. We ask you to speak those words to us, but also we invite you to speak to us in the night seasons of our lives, Lord. Whether it's dreams, visitations, whether it's a word of knowledge, whether it's prophetic word, Lord, we invite your spirit into our lives to bring about healing in a way that only you can. Lord, we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I would like to invite the prayer team up up front here. Um, we're uh, we're going to dismiss, but before you leave, if, if you have any prayer needs at all, if you want to continue along these lines of being healed of, you, of a broken heart, if there's brokenhearted place in your life, these folks up here would love to spend some time with you after the service and pray with you, pray over you. Um, just want to encourage you. Um, and uh, so with that being said, um, bless somebody today. Take somebody out to lunch. Don't wait for somebody to invite you. You invite somebody else. Hang out. Um, you can hang out in the yard. You can hang out in here. Uh, just spend time with each other today. Have a great week. We'll be back here next week at 1030. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.